June the 5th in the year of our Lord, 2017. Who is we? Law and Gospel on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom on Mondays, we like to look ahead at the readings for the coming Sunday, which just so happens to be, in my opinion, the last big celebratory occasion prior to the Reformation, and that's Trinity Sunday. The first half of the calendar year, which begins at Advent, goes through the life of Christ with the Epiphany, the Lent, a Holy Week, and then, of course, Easter, the Ascension, and Pentecost last week, and now we're into Trinity Sunday. And one of the items that we like doing on Trinity Sunday is confessing what is referred to as the Athanasian Creed. There are three what we would consider to be Catholic creeds, because the word Catholic simply means Christian, the religion of the whole world. So there are Roman Catholics, Lutheran Catholics, Baptist Catholics, uh, Pentecostal Catholics, um, Presbyterian, Methodist, etc., And we're all Catholics, if we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, regardless of the various differences that we might have in doctrine, as long as they do not overcome the teaching. And this week, we're going to be talking about the Trinity. Now, one might be surprised that the first reading is the first verses of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 up to 2, 4a. What has that got to do with the Trinity? Well, I'll tell you what it has to do. Before you get out of the third verse of the Bible, the Trinity is already mentioned. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the Father. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. That's the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light and there was light. How do we know that that's Jesus, the second person of the Trinity? We know that because Scripture interprets Scripture. And if you go to the first chapter of the gospel according to St. John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and it also says there was nothing created that was not created by the Word. The Word speaks, and the Word said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, By the way, that light was there prior to the creation of the sun and the stars, So that's why when we go to heaven, Jesus will be the light of the world. And there probably will be no need for the sun, whether it will be there or not. That's a a difference among scholars. But the fact of the matter is Jesus will be the light in heaven. So the first reading from Genesis 1 talks about the Trinity. The second reading is a continuation of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And he talks there also about the Holy Spirit. He talks about that this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So he's referring to after Jesus had died, been put in the grave, God raised him up. That we're referring to God the Father. 
And Jesus, of course, is God the Son. Verse 33 of Acts 2 says, Being therefore exalted, that's his ascension, at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. So all three are mentioned right there in that verse. Jesus, the Father, right hand of God, and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Wow. So there are some people who question whether the Trinity is properly taught. And I, I do say there's a lot of heresies in regard to the Trinity. One is called modalism, that there are not three distinct persons but God appears in three distinct modes. He's the same person. Sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Son, sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. And, and people teach that nonsense because they attempt to use reason. How, how can you have three persons and one God? That, that doesn't make any sense. In, in fact, that's a point I'm going to be making when on this coming Sunday, we confess the Athanasian Creed, and part of it is the idea that the Holy Trinity is incomprehensible. You know, the task of a pastor is not to explain the Bible, because the Bible is really quite ridiculous. It, it doesn't fit at all with our normal experience. If somebody comes and they hurt you, well, you want to hurt them back, we hurt Jesus with our sin, and he dies on the cross and forgives us. It doesn't make any sense at all. So the task of the pastor is not to explain the incomprehensible, but rather to reveal the incomprehensible. And somebody will say, well, that doesn't make any sense. If you don't explain it, how can anybody believe it? We believe all kinds of things without knowing how they work. I mean, how many of us, when we had little kids, we would uh, do kind of tricks on them? Like, what two-year-old knows that the wall switch turns on the light? Now, once you show him that, he now understands that hitting that wall switch, the light will turn on. But he has no understanding of the meaning of how that occurs. He doesn't understand electricity. He doesn't understand wires. He doesn't understand that there's a tie-up between the light on the ceiling and the wall switch. Doesn't understand any of those things. But he believes you because he sees it operate. Now, I remember doing one trick. It was during vacation Bible school at my previous congregation. And I had just put in on the garage one of these automatic door openers. I think I might have told some of you this, but in case you haven't heard it. So I called some of the vacation Bible school kids over and I said, boy, I got a new way to open up the garage door. And I went over to the fence and I just kicked the fence and the garage door opened. They, they were amazed. Uh, of course, they didn't realize I had in my pocket the garage door opener. So one of the kids said, can I try that? And so he went over, he kicked the fence, and the door opened. I said, 
Go tell your mom and dad. Bring them over and show them. So all the kids went running, got their parents. They came back to the driveway. We were right beside the church, the parsonage. And the little kid said, look, Mom, look, Dad. He runs over to the fence, kicks the fence, and nothing happens. <laughs> I tell you, it didn't take long before the parents figured out what I was doing. And some of them weren't very happy with me. But be that as it may, I finally did explain to the kids what was going on here and uh, showed them the thing I had in the pocket. But... You see, they believed that by kicking the fence, the garage door would open because they saw me do it. Now, that's why you got to be really careful about false doctrine in regard to the Holy Trinity. One of the worst sermons I ever did was a sermon that lasted two weeks. What I did is I took the Athanasian Creed... And I found a Bible verse for every statement. Yeah, I still have that study. Every statement had a Bible verse. And at that time, I was still learning law and gospel, and I hadn't come to the realization that wasn't a sermon at all. Talking about the attributes of the Holy Trinity doesn't in and of itself make it a sermon. We'll talk about that tomorrow when we look at a hymn with Mark Smith. How do you make a hymn sermonic? Because the difference is that in a sermon, you're using the law to create fear in the hearts of people and then the gospel to alleviate that fear. And a study on the Athanasian Creed really didn't do that much. Now, near the end of the Athanasian Creed, it becomes more important what it says in regard to Jesus. But what I want to touch on right now uh, is an item that my good friend uh, uh, Randy Golter, special assistant to the president, taught to me about. In Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics, that's a whole set of books. In fact, I used to have them at my location, and I would sell them when they first were coming out. And a new one has just come out on the Holy Trinity by Carl Beckwith. Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics, Holy Trinity, Carl Beckwith, B-E-C-K-W-I-T-H. And just glancing through some of this, there are some really interesting, what I like to call insights that people normally don't think about. For example... We really don't know that much about God the Father. To really learn about God the Father, we really know about him in the man Jesus. Because everything that Jesus did was to give glory to God the Father. So when we know Jesus, when we confess him then we're also learning about God the Father. Because the Holy Trinity from before the foundation of the world made this plan of salvation. And all three were involved in it. Only the second person died on the cross. The Father didn't die. The Holy Spirit didn't die. But they were still all involved. 
if, if you want to know the attitude of God the Father, then hear Jesus. Because a lot of times what he is saying is also what the Father told him. Jesus even has a Bible verse that what I'm saying to you is what the Father told me to say to you. And, and so, for example, when Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world and to defeat Satan, those words are as though God the Father was speaking them. Now, I as a pastor, I am truly successful when I speak the words of Jesus. And, and a lot of times, it's not me doing anything. It's Jesus. Uh, let, let's take the absolution. The congregation confesses they're poor, miserable sinners. And then I begin, upon this, your confession. And remember, they confess their sins to God. I then say, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God to you, and in the stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. You see, the pastor best preaches when he quotes Jesus. In fact, I'm not forgiving anybody's sins. I don't have the power to forgive sins. I only have the authority to announce the forgiveness of sins in the stead, which means in the place of Jesus Christ. So, just as knowing Jesus, you know the Father, so also the best way to do a Bible study, to preach, etc., is to quote Jesus. But where does the Holy Spirit come in? We just celebrated that. Guess what? The goal of the Holy Spirit is to proclaim Jesus. So the goal of Jesus is to proclaim the Father. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to proclaim Jesus. And how does he do that? He does that through the divinely appointed means of grace. We call that word and sacrament. What do we mean by word? We mean the word of the gospel. That is, the promises that God has attached to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. There are certain promises, like last week or two weeks ago when we talked about the ascension. The promises is that Jesus has now become our heavenly prophet, priest, and king. And that has certain benefits for us. So also with the Trinity. If a preacher is talking about a spirit that takes us away from Christ, guess what? That is the spirit of the Antichrist. And there's a lot of that going on today. A lot of it because of the denial of the doctrine of the Trinity, but more importantly, the denial of the very substance of God's holy word. I've said this before, remember on my analogy that I like using right now between a, a recipe ingredients and the instructions how to put the meal together. An ingredient from the Bible would be the Ten Commandments. 
People can have the Ten Commandments memorized from Exodus 20. And one person will say, oh, the purpose of the commandments is to help us understand what we need to do in order to be saved. They may even have some Bible verses like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount after Jesus goes through a detailed instruction of the Ten Commandments, how we break them not only by deed but by thought and by word. What does he say at the end of chapter 5 in Matthew? Therefore you will be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so unless you're understanding law and gospel properly, you will think that Jesus is serious saying that this is the way we get to heaven. That's not what he is saying at all. The the sermon is very clear. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you don't have a ghost of a chance of getting to heaven. That's in Matthew 5. And then he goes ahead and shows what you would have to do to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, which nobody can do. And, And so even in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does give the gospel. Think not that I have come to destroy the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. See, Jesus fulfills the law in your place and then transfers that perfection, that righteousness over to you as you trust in him for salvation. And the way that happens is through the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit operates through the means of grace. In other words, there's nothing that saves you except the work of the Holy Spirit. And that work of the Holy Spirit comes to us in a way that is really, really important. And that's really what Trinity Sunday ought to be about. Trinity Sunday ought to be about how Jesus helps us to understand the Father, how the Holy Spirit helps us to understand Jesus. Jesus becomes the focal point because he is the one who became your Savior to take away your sins. Nothing is more important than that. This is an eternal relationship of one divine person to the other. And it is also how your total salvation is completed and accomplished by the Holy Spirit. According to John 3, 8, he proceeds from and is sent into the world by the Father and the Son. Just as the Father, one can say, is the eternal origin within the Trinity, the Spirit is its eternal completion. I'm actually quoting David Scare in a fine book called Law and Gospel and the Means of Grace. Uh, By the way, that's also put out by Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics. And he continues and says, not only is the Spirit the eternal completion, but what is begun by the Father, what is accomplished by the Son's redemption is brought to completion by the Spirit's engendering faith in believers. So, what is so amazing, and I talked about this in the sermon yesterday, 
we would think that the Holy Spirit's work would be much more glamorous. When Jesus came, he was in the stable. A few shepherds knew about him, a wise men, and, but there was no fireworks or anything. Compared to Pentecost, when there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind, there were tongues of fire on the people, uh, the, the believers, and uh, the disciples were speaking in known foreign languages. So a lot of people expect that, boy, that's the way that the Holy Spirit is going to work through spectacular events. No. He's going to work the same way Jesus did. Because Jesus did do spectacular events. I mean, come on. Feeding 5,000 people with a little bit of bread and fish. Raising Lazarus from the dead. But note well, none of those things converted anybody. And if you weren't already a believer, you blamed it on the work of the devil, Beelzebub. Therefore, the way a person comes to faith is not by seeing some kind of great evidence, oh boy, I need to believe this, but hearing the simple word. And when you hear this word, we say things that are really incomprehensible. And what I mean by that, they go against our experience. I mean, who do you really like who keeps hurting you all the time, saying bad things about you? No. But we do that to God, and he forgives us takes the punishment away from us and puts it on himself. And the way we tell people about this is through human words, the means of grace. They're kind of coverings for the Trinity in which he comes to forgive sinners and declare them righteous. It's very important to understand the sacramental understanding of not only baptism, but also the Lord's Prayer, but also speaking the Word of God. The Trinity is the one who saves. And it comes through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To confess the Holy Trinity is to do more then talk about the attributes of God. Uh, each person is all-knowing. They're everywhere present. No doubt about that. They're all-powerful. But, but a sermon like that really doesn't touch the primary purpose of the teaching of the Trinity. Those attributes are helpful to understand so that the work of the Trinity has been truly accomplished and has been fulfilled. But it is not the attributes that ought to be the focus of the sermon. The focus of the sermon ought not be to try and prove to somebody that the Trinity exists. Because even if you believe the Trinity exists, that's not saving faith. Saving faith is believing that that second person of the Trinity died on the cross for you. Until the promises of the gospel are heard, none of the doctrines of the scripture, what I call the ingredients of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, even the Apostles' Creed, none of them save anybody. 
until you get what Martin Luther said at the end of every ingredient section. What did he then say? What does this mean? And it is the meaning of the incomprehensible, which still doesn't explain the incomprehensible, where we're going to say, oh, now that makes sense. No, the Bible never makes sense. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we believe the unbelievable. For us, through faith, we can say that the incomprehensible becomes comprehensible because that's how God works. We don't live by sight. We live by faith. So we'll be talking more about that tomorrow with Mark Smith as we examine a hymn that can be used for Trinity Sunday. In the meantime, we pray that you'll keep in mind that this is a very holy day, Trinity Sunday, in churches, many of them who will be celebrating that. And if you go to church to listen to the sermon, think about the difference between a sermon that teaches you the attributes of God in contrast to teaching you salvation by God. I'm Tom Baker. Till tomorrow, God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday at this time on Worldwide KFUO. For a contribution to the program, make your check payable to Law and Gospel and mail it to Pastor Tom Baker, Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. You can call toll-free at 1-877-267-1962 or email lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.